Good to see you this morning, friends. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and if we haven't met, I look forward to meeting you at some point. Uh, This morning, we are actually launching into uh, a brand new series that we're going to be doing today all the way up and through Christmas Eve, and we're calling it A Thrill of Hope. And if you may have caught that that's actually a line um, from one of the Christmas hymns we sang this morning, O Holy Night. And the idea is that Christmas really is a time where we're reminded of our hope. And we talk about hope as followers of Jesus. Uh, we don't talk about, like, I hope something happens. I hope that I really get that sweatshirt that I put on my Amazon wish list for Christmas. Not like, oh man, I hope it happens. No, but when we're followers of Jesus, our hope is, is this thing we can confidently count on. Things that are rooted in the promises of God and things that are rooted in the person of Jesus and who he promises to be in our lives. And so in this series, we're going to be looking at a few of the I am statements of Jesus. Things that he, where he comes and he says, let me tell you who I am. This is who I am. This is who I promise to be. This is who I can be in your life. And so you can have hope. You can count on me. And today we're talking about hope for satisfaction. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in a world where there is more entertainment, there's more information, there are more resources available to us than ever before in the history of the world. And yet, do you find that people are less satisfied now than maybe they have ever been? Do you think this is true? I don't. I think people have always wrestled with satisfaction and finding satisfaction in the things of this world. And I think what we'll discover is that the people of Jesus' day wrestled with satisfaction and finding ultimate satisfaction the same way that you and I do. And we'll discover that today when we open our Bibles to John chapter 6. If you have your Bible today, go ahead and open to John chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, we're going to be on page 865. And in this chapter, Jesus is going to interact with the crowd, an entire crowd of people that come looking for him and that come looking for something from him. Now, there's 71 verses in this chapter, and we are going to cover the entire thing, but I will not read every verse, so don't worry. Um, But we're going to talk about what John is teaching us in this chapter. It's a really rich chapter, John chapter 6, and it starts off actually with Jesus trying to get away from people. Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter, is trying to get away from the crowds of people, people that have been seeking him out and asking him for things and demanding his time and attention. And now Jesus heads up to the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee, up near Bethsaida, where he's kind of off in the wilderness area to seek some time of rest and relaxation. This is a getaway for Jesus. But because Jesus is so popular, because Who he is and what he offers and what he brings is so popular, specifically up in the region around the Sea of Galilee. The people here, they get word that Jesus is over near Bethsaida, and so they go to seek him out. And John tells us that 
Jesus is there with his disciples, and he sees the crowd coming, and right away, he assesses the problem. He says, this is going to be an issue, and he points out the problem to his guys. He says, here comes a crowd. How are we going to feed all of these people? It's getting late in the day, and these people have come all the way out here into the middle of nowhere, and we have no way to provide them with something to eat. And actually, we're told that Jesus says this to his, his disciples just to test them. He, he wants to see if they have yet come to understand that Jesus has the power to meet all of our needs. And of course, the disciples failed the test, <laughs> They say, we have no idea how to get food for all these people. And friends, this dilemma, this struggle, this challenge sets the stage for one of the greatest miracles that Jesus will perform. In fact, outside of the resurrection, outside of Jesus' resurrection from the grave, this is the only other miracle that shows up in all four Gospels. John tells us that A young boy is found who has five small barley loaves of bread, kind of like little round flat pieces of pita bread, and also two small fish, and that Jesus then uses this one little boy's lunch to feed the entire crowd, thousands of people, and the people are amazed. They are blown away at Jesus' capacity to meet needs. And their response to Jesus producing all this food and giving them all a free meal is, let's make him king, which I totally understand, right? Because I love free food. I mean, if people are going to give out free food, I say, let's make him king too. In fact, it reminds me of like my kids and I, we go to QFC over by our house. And I don't know if you shop at a grocery store where they do the free samples, But they have this little like pizza wood fire oven area and every now and then they put the pizza like out for free. These teeny little miniature slices of pizza. And the first thing my kids and I do when we go in the grocery store is we check the pizza counter. And if there's free pizza, we make a beeline over there and you would think we won the lottery. Why? Because everyone loves free food. These people get free food and they say, let's make Jesus king. Now, at first glance, that seems like the right response, right? Not because they got free food, but because he's Jesus. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that our calling to make Jesus king in our lives? He's king of the universe. He's king of the world. He's king of all creation. And our call is to make him king of our lives. They want to make him king, But then in the very next statement, we find out that Jesus does not like this plan, and he rejects their idea, and he actually, the scriptures say, he withdraws from them. And it's as if he's saying, you think you know what you need. You think you know what will satisfy your souls, and you will even try to use me to get it, but I have not come to offer you what you think you need. I have come to offer you what you truly need. You see, this is a story about satisfaction. This is a story about what will really offer satisfaction to our hearts and minds and lives. So Jesus withdraws from the crowd, and then something kind of weird happens. 
All of a sudden, there's another story that just sort of pops up. And if you read this chapter, at first glance, it doesn't seem to really fit, but I'll make sense of it here in a bit. All of a sudden, Jesus has his disciples jump into a boat and like head back over across the lake back to Capernaum. And while his disciples are on their way, a storm hits, and they're struggling. They cannot make headway. Have you ever tried to row a boat into a really strong headwind? My family and I actually went on a rafting trip a couple years ago on the Deschutes River. The night before we were supposed to leave, my parents had flown in, my brother and his entire family had flown in. We're taking all of us on a couple rafts down the river. The night before, my wife pulls up the weather and says, there's like a a massive windstorm warning for the area that we're going to. But because I was like, all in all, all the deposits and everyone was there. I was like, we're powering through. Well, I'll tell you what, friends, we're on a river. And so the current is taking us forward. The wind was so strong that we would literally be traveling backwards up the river. It was the worst experience of our lives. I'm telling you, my kids to this day are scarred and will probably never go river rafting again. My youngest daughter was certain that we were going to die. And at one point I thought she might be right. Anyway, (laughs) rowing into a headwind is no fun. It's extremely difficult. And that's where the disciples find themselves. But then all of a sudden we discover that in the middle of the night, it's become dark, Jesus comes walking out to them on the water. And this is an amazing thing. But John, in this story, as he tells this story, he doesn't really talk about this that much. He sort of moves on. And the main point he wants us to see is this. They invite Jesus into the boat, and then suddenly, miraculously, they are across the entire lake, and they're docking at Capernaum. So Jesus comes out walking on the water. He gets in the boat, and then boom, they make it across the lake. And John doesn't camp out on this miracle, but he is quick to tell us this. The next morning, the crowd, remember the crowd that got the free food? They're still on the other side of the lake. They wake up and they discover that Jesus is nowhere to be found, that he's gone somewhere. And so now they set out to find him. They're heading back to Capernaum to find Jesus because they have some questions for him. And here's where we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 25. It says, when they found him, when the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi... When did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Friends, in this conversation, Jesus makes one of the most radical and significant statements in all of Scripture. He says, I 
am the bread of life. And those first two words of that statement were huge. Because they were words that were sacred to the Jewish people. They were words that would have reminded them of the words that God spoke to Moses through the burning bush when Moses said, who are you? Who can I say has sent me? And God said, you can tell them that I am sent you. This is the very name of God. And in this statement, Jesus says, I am. And their ears just perk up. Friends, this is the first of seven I am statements that Jesus will make throughout the Gospel of John. And John uses this this series of events, these miracles that Jesus has performed, and this conversation that he's in, and then finally this profound statement to teach us a few things. First of all, who is Jesus? Second, what has he come to offer? Third, where is it found? And finally, how can we receive him? That's what we're going to talk about today. So first, who is Jesus. What does this entire chapter, what do these stories teach us about who Jesus is? And if you back up with me again to the very beginning of the chapter, the very beginning of this story, John adds just a little fact. In verse 4 he says, the Jewish Passover feast was near. All of this stuff happens right when the Jewish Passover feast was near. And John tells us this because what happens in this story ties in with what the people would have been thinking and talking about during Passover. Passover, you might know, was the Jewish festival when the Jews not only remembered being delivered from slavery in Egypt by Moses, but it was a time when they looked forward to when God would send a second Moses, another deliverer, to save them and redeem them and free them once and for all. It was a time when they were thinking back about Moses, but they were also looking ahead for the next Moses. And friends, when they thought back about Moses, what did they think about? What did Moses do? Now, you might remember this from Sunday school, or maybe you just watched The Prince of Egypt. Either will do, because The Prince of Egypt was actually pretty good. But there are two really big things, two main miracles that the Jewish people associated with with Moses. And here they are. First, they remember that Moses miraculously led the people across the Red Sea. You remember this? Remember the scene? Pharaoh finally, after, after a long, a hard, sort of stubborn battle, agrees he, for the people to be set free. He sets them free. He says, get out of here. You're free. Leave. The people leave Egypt. They're on their way. They're leaving Egypt. And finally, they find themselves standing right in front of the Red Sea when Pharaoh changes his mind and his army is coming and his army is bearing down on them. And then what does Moses do? What does Charlton Heston do? He raises that big old staff And he prays, and he plants it in the ground, and then the Red Sea parts, and God's people go right across, right through the water to freedom and to safety. That's the first Moses miracle that the people would would have been thinking about. Second was another remarkable, remarkable miracle when they were out in the desert, out in the wilderness area, and the people were hungry. And they began to grumble and they began to complain and they said stuff like, man, maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Maybe we should just go back to slavery. Why? Because at least we had food when we were back there. And so again, what does Moses do? He prays to the Lord and then God sends 
manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And every morning they would wake up to find this manna all, all over the ground, this bread from heaven. And John tells us that it's almost Passover and the people are remembering and thinking about a Moses-like Savior who will come one day. And then in this story, what does Jesus do? Yeah, he finds himself in the wilderness with a crowd of people and he miraculously provides bread for them. And then, and then, he amazingly walks on water and miraculously takes his disciples across the sea to, through the storm to safety. You see, John wants us to be absolutely clear about who he believes and who he's saying Jesus is. Friends, what John is telling us is that Jesus is this second Moses. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. And he has come not just to satisfy their earthly needs for now, but to satisfy their eternal needs needs forever. Who is Jesus? He is the long-awaited Messiah of God. And so if that's who he is, then the second question is, what has he come to offer? What specifically does he offer us? Does he offer the world? Does he offer these people? And all throughout this passage, Jesus talks about this. In the second half of this passage in particular, over and over and over again when you read it, you will notice one word. It's repeated and repeated and repeated again. It's the word life. Life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And not just life, but he talks about eternal life. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And friends, we must understand what Jesus means when he talks about bringing and offering life. Because unlike in English, in Greek, there are actually two different words for the word life. They are bios and zoe. And bios is, of course, where we get our English word biology. Very good. The first service didn't get that. You guys are smarter than them. Don't tell them I said it. Biology, right? Bios is physical life. It means being alive. It means your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing. It's to be physically alive. Bios is existence. But zoe, the other word for life... It's a different kind of life. Zoe Zoe stands for the quality of life. Zoe is the fullness of life. It's life when you are satisfied. And even though, you know, we only have one English word for life, we understand the difference, right? We've all experienced bios and zoe. There are moments when life feels full. You ever have a moment where life just feels full and rich and satisfying and complete? Like when you're on that amazing hike in the mountains or when you're watching that perfect sunset at the beach or when you're with a group of people who you love and and just deeply enjoy or when you're doing work, work that you're called to do, work that you're good at, work that you're gifted in, and you feel like you are accomplishing something great, 
Or when you're sitting in here and you're listening to one of my sermons and life feels full and amazing and wonderful. No, not then. But, um, but it's in these kind of moments, right, friends, when we would say something like, now this is living. You ever have, hear someone say that? Now this is living. My parents took us on a cruise a couple years ago. My kids have never really been on a real vacation, let alone a cruise, and they just kept saying that. Now this is living, right? <laughs> Pools and do whatever. I mean, it was just amazing. Now this is living. Now what were they saying? Were they saying, now this is being alive. This is existence. No, they're saying this is the satisfaction and the completeness and the fullness that my soul longs for, right? And the point is this. None of us long just to exist. None of us want to simply exist. When I was a kid, there was this wonderful TV show that my brother and I used to watch. We were kind of addicted to it for a while. It was called The Highlander. Did anyone watch The Highlander? You remember this? It was, it was a story about a group of people who were called the immortals, and they lived forever. And the only way an immortal could die was with an, is if another immortal would come and cut their head off with a sword, which they never showed on the shows. They just sort of, you kind of imagined it, so it's okay that my parents let me watch this. But <laughs> at first, you would watch this show, and you would see these immortals, and, and your imagination as a kid would think, man, to live forever, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, I would give anything to, to be an immortal, to live forever. But what you learned as you watched the show was that these characters who lived forever were not all that happy. In fact, what you discovered was that to live forever is actually kind of an empty thing. It's kind of a hopeless thing. It's sort of a torturous reality. In fact, some theologians say to live forever without satisfaction and meaning and significance and fullness is actually the definition of hell. You see, we do not simply long for bios, for existence. We long for zoe, for quality of life, and for satisfaction. And friends, that is exactly what Jesus promises in this passage. He says, I am the bread of zoe, of fullness, of rich and complete, satisfying life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me will experience an eternal fullness and satisfaction that their soul will never find anywhere else. That's what Jesus promises. That's what he offers. This is why when the crowd comes looking for Jesus, he's crossed back over the lake. He's given them their free food. He's crossed the lake. And then they come to him, and they're looking for what? They're saying, hey, if you're, if you're kind of claiming to be this Moses character, well, Moses, he gave out a lot of bread. He gave out bread for like a long, long time, for like, you know, 40 years he was, he was like handing out bread. You've only done this once, so let's have it with a little more bread, Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And what he's saying 
is you have to stop spending your life seeking after things that will only satisfy you for a short time and then will leave you empty again. You have to stop spending your lives seeking after things that will only satisfy for a short time and then will leave you empty again. What are you looking to for satisfaction these days, friends? So one of the questions these stories force us to ask, what are you looking to in your life for meaning and fullness and joy and significance? Because Jesus says, I have come to give you this hope, hope in a satisfaction that will last forever. What has Jesus come to offer? Not just existence, not just forever existence, but eternal satisfaction, eternal fullness. And so the next question is, well, then where is this found? Where do we find this zoe, this life, this fullness and satisfaction? And the simple answer is that it is found in Jesus, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of zoe, of satisfaction and fullness forever. But here, friends, is where we sometimes get confused, I think, in the same way the crowd was confused. Because this crowd is chasing after who? Who are they pursuing? They're pursuing Jesus. They're chasing after Jesus. But what they want is for Jesus to give them what they think will satisfy their souls. They're chasing Jesus, and they're saying, now, Jesus, now you give us what will satisfy us. But Jesus didn't say, I will give you the bread of life. Right? He didn't say that. He didn't say, I will show, I've come to show you the way towards the bread of life. In fact, by the way, this is something that distinguishes Jesus from every other spiritual and religious leader in the history of the world. Every other spiritual leader in the history of the world comes and says, hey, come follow me and I will show you the way. I will show you the way to find life. Jesus comes and says, I am the way. Not I will show you the way, not I will provide you with the way, but I am the way. I will give you, he doesn't say I will give you the bread of life. He says I am the bread of life. I am what will satisfy your soul. You see, friends, there's often this temptation. There's this temptation for the crowd. There's this temptation for you and for me to use Jesus as a means to an end. This is something that we as church people fall into all the time. We think, I know what will satisfy me. We think we know what will give us the good life. I think I know what I need. I think I know what will make me happy. And so what do we do? Like the crowd, we follow Jesus, and we chase him down, and we pray, and we ask him to give us the stuff we believe will satisfy our souls. Jesus, if you would just give me this job. If you would just get me into this school, if you would just help me to be more successful, if you would just bring me a spouse, if you would just change my spouse, if you would only do this thing in my life, in the life of my kid, or in my life, if you would 
just take away this problem or this issue or this challenge or this health issue, if you would just get me out of this jam, then I'd be good. Then I'd be satisfied. You see, it's how we use Jesus to get what we want so that we can be satisfied. And Jesus says, your circumstances changing will never ultimately satisfy you. Only I can satisfy you. And friends, I am not saying that Jesus does not care and that he does not want to help us with the issues in our lives. He does care and he does want to help. The scriptures say that he's like a good father who longs to give good gifts to his children. That's how God relates to us. That's what the scriptures tell us. But, 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 Jesus is very clear. The deep longings in your soul for eternal satisfaction will never be satisfied by earthly things. By that thing that you don't have that you so desperately want. I love how... Pastor John Johnson says it in his book, Under an Open Heaven. He says, this is what Jesus does. He calls them out. He's talking about the crowd. He calls them out. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. In effect, he says, go after something more substantial than the things that mold, sour, rust, decay, decline, erode, and fall apart. Don't settle for a mere cycle of survival. Don't live to satisfy your bellies. They will only scream for more. Don't come after me simply to be healed. You will still die. And while we're on this topic, stop viewing me as a health and wealth Jesus. I am not some meal ticket Messiah, a wonder chef, a supernatural health care provider. How often do we treat Jesus as a supernatural health care provider. And I am not saying you can't pray about your health. Just know that good health won't ultimately and eternally satisfy your soul. You see, Jesus is calling this crowd, and he's calling you and me to simply pursue him, not what he can give us. And I have to tell you, friends, I think this is a great message for us at Christmas time. Because this is a season where the message is consistent and constant. We're told, give the right gifts. And if you do, and if you get the right gifts, and if you have the right decorations, and play all the right Christmas music, and eat the right Christmas cookies, and have the perfect family moments, then, then Christmas will be what it's supposed to be, and we will be satisfied. And we have bought that lie, trying to create the perfect Christmas moments because that's what makes Christmas special. But friends, that is not the message of Christmas. That is not the scriptural message of Christmas. Christmas in the Bible says this, the only one who can satisfy is the bread of heaven that has come down into the world. The baby born in Bethlehem, and he is called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And this leads to our last question. How do we receive him? If Jesus is who satisfies our soul, if he's the only one who can satisfy you and me, then how do we receive him? Because that's what the crowd asks. Verse 28, they ask him, you know, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. How do you receive him? 
believe in the one he has sent. And that word believed, just so we're clear, it's the word pestuo, which is the New Testament word for faith. This is not just intellectual assent. This is faith. This is trust. This is leaning in and trusting Jesus. And to trust Jesus, you have to know how trustworthy he is. Jesus is saying, learn to trust me. And to do that, friends, we must know him. In verse 35, Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me, he says, believe in me and come to me. Do you understand? This is relational language. He's saying, you're looking for satisfaction? Come to me. Come be with me. Come spend time to me. Some of you have a friend like this. I hope you do. Someone in your life that you love, that you feel safe with, that when you connect with them, when you get together with them, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's just a dear friend, when you get together with them and you talk with them, there's just, you just feel satisfied. There's something so satisfying about being with this person. I hope you have at least someone like that. And what Jesus is saying is, I want to be that person for you. That person that you come to and that you connect with where you find satisfaction. Come to me, he says. And then in verse 51, the most dramatic language, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. He says, I'm the living bread, and if you eat this bread, you'll live forever. If you eat this bread, you'll find this life, this satisfying, zoe, fulfilling life. Jesus says, go ahead and just eat me. Like, I want to be so close, I want to be so closely connected to you that I want you to digest me into your body and dissolve me into your bloodstream. I want to be the fuel of your life. I want to be the source of your satisfaction. I am the bread of life. Bring me into the very center of who you are. Do you understand how close God wants to be with you? That's why he came. That's why... The Christmas carol writers say, let the earth receive her king, receive him, welcome him in, allow him to be close to you. Friends, too many of us know about Jesus, but we're holding him at arm's length. We know about him, but he's out here. He's not intimately connected to us. He's not in relationship to us. He's not where we find our source of satisfaction and strength and pleasure. Do you find pleasure in being with Jesus? That's the invitation. That's the call. That's where you will find Zoe. That's what Jesus is offering here. Friends, this is why every week when we come to gather, we share this meal. It's a meal that reminds us of the death and resurrection of Jesus of the thing he did to move close to us. And then what does he invite us to do? He invites us to take and eat, to take and drink, to take the body of Christ and the blood of Christ and to eat it and to drink it and to bring it into it. He says, bring me, bring who I am and all of who I am right into the center of your life and remind yourself just how close I long to be. Remind yourself of this. So that's what we'll do again today. Friends, Christmas is not about Jesus coming to earth and kind of being out here. 
Some of you have got Jesus out here. Some of you, you, you you've kind of dabbled with Jesus a little bit, but if you're honest, you know what he is? He's a side salad. He's an appetizer. He's mozzarella sticks. I could call that. Don't, Jesus does not want to be mozzarella sticks. That'd be a great title for this sermon. He wants to be the main course of your life. He wants to be the main source of fuel and satisfaction for your soul. That was bread in the first century. The thing that ultimately sustained the people of Galilee. That's who Jesus wants to be in your life. And this morning you have the chance to again say, Yes, Lord, that's who I want you to be. That's who I long for you to be in me by coming to this table and taking the bread and taking the cup and then saying, yes, Lord, your death and resurrection, all of who you are right in the center of my life. Be my everything. Be closer to me than I can ever imagine. Come be in fellowship with me. I receive you. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never received Christ. Maybe you've heard about Christ and you've thought about Christ, but you've never actually invited him into the very center of your life. You can do that this morning by just coming to one of these tables, taking the bread and taking the cup and saying, Jesus, I trust you. I believe in your death and resurrection, and I receive you, all of who you are, into my life. Come be with me. The earth receives her king, and I receive my king. Maybe you just need to do that again today to remind yourself just how close your God wants to be with you. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to do this. Think for a minute about what's competing with Jesus in your life right now for satisfaction and meaning and fulfillment. What are you really leaning on? Are you leaning on him, or are you leaning on someone else or something else? And then come to the table and bring that thing and lay it down and pick up the elements as a way of saying, I choose you, Jesus over everything in this world because I want the bread of life. Amen? Father, this morning, as we prepare to receive communion, I would just pray, Lord, that we don't miss this. We don't miss this desire that you have to have deep, intimate connection with each of us because it is at the very center of what it means to be your followers. And so thank you for your promises. Thank you for not just promising existence, but for promising richness and fullness and satisfaction that will never fail us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for offering that to us in spite of our sin because you love us so much. We love you, Lord. Thank you for coming this earth and this church, and we receive you as our king. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.